Hebrews chapter 10, let's go there. Take your paper Bible, your hard copy of the scripture, or if you've got a device, you can scan the QR code. That'll bring you right to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read our passage for the day, and we are going to jump into what I am positive is going to be one of the, if not the, most buckshot approaches of preaching you've ever heard. This thing has no path. It's just going to go all over the place. So every once and again, I'd like to just do this for my ADHD brethren. This one's for us. All right? Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and a living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. So, made mention of it last week, Hebrews is filled with repetition. Uh, over and over again, the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to pay attention to some of the most important concepts that he could possibly communicate to us. And it occurred to me this week, as I was studying our passage for the weekend, that the author of Hebrews just succinctly draws together all of the ideas he's been presenting throughout the book of Hebrews to this point in those first three verses that we read. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a boldness to enter into the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and a living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So, so what he does in those three verses, it says, here it is. Now, because we have spent, so for us, months talking about this, he's going to draw it together one more time and say, since then. So he's going to make sure you don't think it's a, we do all of this and we get this. No, no, no. Everything is flowing out of these gospelly truths. And these gospel truths start with this, the death of Jesus Christ has given us access into the presence of God. And since we can go there boldly, courageously, not boldly and courageously, because you're walking in with an armful of good behavior, like, see what I did for you? Here I am, accept me. You're walking into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because you've put your faith and your trust in the sacrifice and the offering that was Jesus dying in your place taking the full wrath of God where you should have taken the full wrath of God, and in so doing, giving to you his righteousness, his perfection, and giving you a new name, child of God. And because of that, because you are his child, of course, you're welcome in his presence. That's the way it's supposed to work in family, isn't it? I've told you this before. I may have a long line of you talk to me after the service because of some new heresy I've created. And quite honestly, those are usually the ones that come out of my mouth. They're not ones I've studied. Most of them are like, I didn't think about that. That is heresy. My bad. I try not to do that, just in case you're wondering. You can be at ease, I promise. I don't think there's any today. But you can line up and let me know afterwards. But if my granddaughter comes to me, she's cutting in line. 
Not because I'm trying to avoid difficult conversations, because she's my granddaughter. She doesn't wait in line. You're a child of God. You don't wait in line. So since you have that access, because you have this boldness, and since you have this great high priest, greater than any other high priest that has ever come before, because of those things, and now, now the rubber meets the road, now, now it comes application. Now it's, now what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live now that we have been justified in the eyes of God, seen as if we'd never sinned and seen as if we'd always obeyed? Now what? Verse 22. Let us then draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. You have been invited into the presence of God, walking in with confidence and full assurance of faith, not appealing to your resume, but appealing to the work of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, as our author gets to the place where he's ready to do application, he once again refers back to this whole process of change that has come in the new covenant. He once again has to go back and say, you don't forget how overwhelming this is. Don't forget how dramatic a change this is. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 19, God calls Moses to the top of the mountain and he tells all of the Israelites, you better stay away from the mountain. In fact, not only should you stay away, you should put a, 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 guard, a, a guardrail around the mountain so that nobody dares come to the mountain and touch the mountain when the glory of God descends on the top of the mountain. But, but not only to touch the mountain, but, but make sure you don't even touch the foot of the mountain. And, and, and in fact, so much... So much danger is there. Forget people. Make sure the animals don't touch the mountain. If any living thing comes into contact with this mountain while the glory of God has descended upon it, they will be immediately put to death. God's presence comes to the top of the mountain. I mean, again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. What things would you have loved to see? From a distance, I would have loved to see this one. I would have loved to see the the glory of God descending to the top of the mountain, the, the clouds begin to billow, the lightning, the thunder, the ground shaking, the smoke rising as if it was a furnace and knowing that my God is right there. Now, what's interesting about that, there is, there is that innate desire to draw close to that, right? At the same time, there needs to be a healthy understanding of if I draw too close, I'm in trouble. So you want to shrink back. That's, that's, that's a better understanding of the fear of the Lord. And I've used this a million times, but I have no other way to explain it. That is what the fear of the Lord is, this, this desire to get as near to him as you can, all the while understanding that he is a holy God, and so you're, you're fearful. So this tension exists within your soul that you're not supposed to try to alleviate. You're supposed to live within the tension. You're supposed to, to go to the highest of cliffs and be like, I, I want to get this full view, so I want to get to the edge so I can fully experience the awe. That is the, the danger of the depths beneath me. And so you get to the edge, but all the while knowing full well you're scared to death of heights and you don't trust your kids. So you stay back a little bit. But I want to get close, but I don't want to get too close. And so you wrestle with this tension. That's the way you and I are supposed to feel as we approach this holy God. It's interesting, as the glory of God descended on the mountain, Israel is told not to come too close. Stay back. So, so how are the people supposed to access God then? Fast forward some chapters. Exodus 25, God says, let's build this tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, my glory will dwell among my people. But even in the tabernacle, there is no access for the people. We talked about this weeks ago. The courtyard is this huge area that people could dwell in. But there was the, only, the, only the priests could carry the sacrifice into the 
holy place. Oh, so, so being a priest, you got access to God. No, no. Actually, priests could enter into that holy place, but even at times that was too close if they weren't careful. For example, in Leviticus, we have the story of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu were like, we're going to go offer a sacrifice to God. Let's get some fire together instead of following God's clear, delineated purpose and intention of what fire they're supposed to use. So they brought their own fire, and they were then consumed by God. So even being a priest didn't give you confident access to the presence of God. So, so how? Well, you've got the Day of Atonement, the high priest. So if you become a high priest, you can actually go behind the veil one day a year, and then you can be in the very presence of the glory of God, but you're not going there with confidence. Know how I know? When God told them to build the priestly robes for that day, you know what he had them sew into the robe? Bells. Why? So that the people outside could tell if he was still alive or not. There's a chance that you could walk into the presence of a holy God without having done what he has told you to do and be consumed because of your sin, because of your uncleanness, and that was a problem. There was no confidence walking in that way. And so tradition has it that the people began tying a rope around his ankle in case the bells stopped so they could pull him out because I ain't going in there. Nobody, nobody had confidence to enter into the presence of God. But our author says, since you have that confidence. Because at the death of Jesus, that veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, that veil that kept us away from the very presence of God was torn in half from top to bottom. And so our author says, now what you need to do then is draw near to him. Go into his presence. Walk right up to him like you're a three-year-old walking into daddy's presence. What's keeping you from doing that? What's keeping you from going into God's presence like that? What's, 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 what's holding you back from approaching God that way? I would suggest that one of the things is that you don't necessarily believe with all your heart that the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is sufficient. Because if you were convinced of that, your posture would be one of confidence. But we live in this guilt-induced society. There's a lot of reasons for that. But we live in this guilt-induced society where we continue to fall for the lie that my access to God is both gained by and limited by what type of behavior I can put on the altar. And the answer is no. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the death of Jesus Christ we are commanded to draw near. Now, please, this is going to sound incredibly self-serving. I'm going to ask you the question. Please, for the sake of my prayer, don't shout out an answer. Why is church so boring? I mean, it, it should be filled with hopeful humble of any gathering of people in the country. It should be a group of people that knows and truly believes that they're sinners and they've been set free. Free to speak of their failings of sins. Free to go into the presence of God and say, God, I need your grace. Knowing full well that his grace has met us there. Knowing full well that through the finished work of Christ, we have been given access, confident access to God. And so we should be running into his presence with confidence. We should be filled with joy. And we sit here trying not to spill our coffee this morning. 
if some of you are lucky. I don't know if there's anybody coffee spills yet. They didn't report yet, so. <laughs> we, we sit here. We sit here focused on the wrong thing. And our author is saying, don't you understand? This is the holy God that descended on the mountain with thunder and lightning, with the, the smoke ascending like the furnace, and you can walk right into his presence because Christ has made you presentable. Are you? Are you walking into his presence regularly like that? How? How am I supposed to do that? Now, here's the problem. If I tell you how to walk into the presence of God, if I explain to you this is what it means to draw near to God, then what I run the risk of is creating a whole mess of little legalists in here who follow the checklist that I follow. The reality is there's all kinds of ways to go into the presence of God. There's all kinds of ways to draw near into the presence. It looks different, and actually it looks different almost every day. Sometimes it looks like a really, really strong cup of coffee. The quiet of the morning, with the heat coming off the heater in my office, the smell of this incredible maple bourbon candle that my wife got me for Christmas, and my Bible on my lap. Sometimes it looks like driving in my truck having an argument with God, knowing that everybody's looking at me like, that guy's crazy. Sometimes it looks like <laughs> thinking that nobody's around and singing and finding out there are people around. Sometimes for me, my favorite place in the entire world is to sit in a tree waiting for God's little critters to come by so they can become my dinner. It's a lot more fun when you get something there is nothing better than just sitting in that tree for just a couple hours. And every breeze that comes through, every bird that flies by, the coolest part is when it's quiet enough and you can actually hear the wings of the flapping birds going by. And remembering, that's my God did that. Sometimes it looks like praying out loud or praying in your heart. Sometimes it looks like going, for, who knows, what does it look like for you? Now, obviously, it needs to be based in truth. And so scripture and prayer definitely need to be a part of your drawing near to God. But what it looks like is very different to every single one of us. The point isn't what it looks like. The point is do it. That's the point. Draw near. Draw near knowing that you can based on the work that's already been finished. The second one, that was supposed to be short. We're in trouble. All right, verse 23. <laughs> Not only do we, because these things are true, we have boldness to enter into the sanctuary and we have a great high priest, so we should draw near, but we should also, verse 23, hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. We are to hold on if somebody is in the presence of you. And you that was awkward, cool. Let me try that again. If somebody is in the room with you and says, or in the car with you is even better, says, hold on, there's a reason. It's like if somebody says, duck. You, 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 should, you should probably duck. Or what we're learning is when a toddler says catch, that can mean a lot. You hope it's not them, but it could be them. But our author says, 
hold on. I have a, a quick story for you. We were, uh, I won't go into all the details, but I was driving a little minivan full of teenage boys uh, back from uh, a concert. It was really late at night. It was up in the Chicagoland. I, I mean, we probably had six or seven of us in the van, and a couple of them were asleep in the back seat. A couple of them were talking. And I do not know what happened. I just know that I took the minivan off-road. And we were in a highway. That's hard to do in a highway. Um, and we, I mean, we launched. And I saw it coming. All of a sudden, I was like, what's happening? And I don't even, it wasn't like I was asleep. I just missed it. I don't know. I just put, what did I yell? Hold on! Some of them did. The others we haven't seen for a while. <laughs> we came off this embankment and did things that a minivan shouldn't be able to do. And I gained control, and there's still a scream. If you ask a couple of the boys, there's a scream that came from the back seat that I will never forget. Followed quickly by looking in my rearview mirror and seeing this kid, this teenage boy, sitting up. And he's like... <laughs> Best part of the whole story, though? I gained control. We're good. Things settled down about two minutes later. And I look in my rearview mirror, and there's been a car behind us the entire time. So they saw everything. And I'm slowing down a little bit, and it's speeding up on us to pass us. I'm like, guys, 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 everybody just play it cool. So we're driving, and here comes this car, and it's driving us like... And we're all sort of like... <laughs> we meant to do that. The point of that story, though, is if somebody says, hold on, there's a reason. When our author tells them, hold on, there's a reason. The people that he is writing to have a lot in common with us. They're surrounded by skepticism, illness, frustration, political disagreements, accusations. Hatred. And the author says, hey, hey, hold on. We're coming in hot. And you need to hold on. When somebody tells you to hold on, there's a reason. When somebody tells you to hold on, that also means you need to let everything else go. Stop holding on to the things that, that aren't going to help you. Stop being like the disciples who are on the boat with Jesus, freaking out because they're in the middle of this storm, thinking God doesn't love us. God, God doesn't care about us. God's going to allow us to, to perish in here. And the reality is, no, 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 no. Stop holding on to the fear. Stop holding on to the worry. Stop holding on to the doubt. Instead, remember who's in the boat with you. Remember who's in the boat. He stands up and he says, shh, and the wind and the waves stop. Hold on to the confession of hope. Why? Because you're strong? No. Why? Because it's popular? No. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Because every time you look in your rear mirror, God has done exactly what he promised he would do. So as you're driving your car, looking out the front window, and you're like, this is going to be tricky, you need to make sure you glance up at that rearview mirror once and again. To be reminded that, that God is incredibly faithful. Cool, that was all introductory. Let's get to the sermon now, verse 24. <laughs> since we have boldness to enter into the sanctuary, since we have this great high priest, let's draw near, let's hold on, and then verse 24, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me walk through a couple of the words there to give you some understanding, some definition. Let us consider, that word consider means to be intentional, 
to carefully think about, to figure out. Let us consider one another in order to provoke, some of you really good at this one, stimulate, irritate, agitate. I love you. you. Come on. You know I'm kidding. It also can mean to encourage. That's what I meant. Can't believe you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> In order to provoke, encourage, stimulate, stir up, spur on, irritate, agitate, prod, to what? Love and good works. I want to talk about those for a second. Love and good works. Those aren't extra credit options for the Christian. Those aren't things that just the super Christians do. Boy, he's good at love and good works. Nope. Love and good works are at the core of what it means to be a Christian. Love and good works are the birthmarks of a believer in Jesus Christ. Love. Love is the way that the watching world knows that you belong to Jesus. Jesus says these very words in John 13, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will the watching world know you are a disciple of Jesus? By what I post on Facebook. No. That may be the opposite. How is the watching world supposed to know that you Know and love Jesus by the way that you love other brothers and sisters in Christ. Love's not feelings. It's not affections. It's actions. And I mean, the most popular passage in, in every wedding in the world is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. But guess what? Love chooses to be patient. Love chooses to be kind. Love refuses to be envious. Love refuses to keep a record of wrongdoings. Hey, how are you doing with those things? I make a joke about Facebook and social media, but if I looked at your Facebook and social media pages, would it demonstrate a love for brothers and sisters in Christ? Or would it demonstrate an arrogance that you know how they should be doing things so if they just made the commercial look like this instead? And 90% of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? Don't worry about it then. Praise God. Stay off of Facebook. The reality is we're so quick to spark. We're so quick to nuke somebody else. We're so quick to make accusations against somebody, challenging that they might not be a child of God because they might disagree with you on a secondary or even a tertiary issue. And the reality is Jesus said, no, 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 no. You, as believers in Jesus Christ, can demonstrate to a world that is watching because I promise you they are watching. They are watching. And when they see us behave foolishly online, that is not demonstrating that you are known by him. Love is a birthmark of being a believer, but so is this other word that he uses here, good works. Good works are the evidence or the fruit of your love for God. John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Those aren't commands or works or good works that are gaining your access to the Father. Remember, our author was very clear, because you already have access to the Father. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. 
These, these works instead are the works that God has prepared for you beforehand. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says, where his poem, where his workmanship, he has created us for this moment to be able to do these things that God has left for us to do. So the call, here's an interesting change. Now you ready? Here you go. Don't miss this. Let us draw near. Let us hold on. Let us consider one another in order to provoke to love and good works. Do you notice a kind of a different approach there? Let me, let me lay out some observations some considerations to make about this last one. Number one is this. And if you're a note taker, this is the most outline-y thing I'll ever do. So if you want to feel fulfilled by taking notes, have a great time. Okay, here you go. First observation. In order to consider one another, in order to provoke to love and good works, that takes community. So, so this is what I mean. So here you go. This is an outlier. The first one. You draw near. Then... You, hold on, and now you help those people around you to love and obey. See, see how it changes? So you're helping others to do what they are being commanded to do elsewhere. You're commanded to love. You're commanded to, to obey. And now what, he, what our author tells us, now you go and you encourage each other to love and to obey. Because even though I may know I need to love and I need to obey, to actually do it is, is very different than knowing that I'm supposed to do it. I'm going to say something, and, and I hope you understand this. Your walk with Jesus isn't um, an individual sport. It's a team sport. So hear this really clear. It's not uh, track and field events where you get your personal record. It's soccer. It's baseball. It's basketball. It's, it's how you depend on other people. So here, here comes a statement. You ready? Chew on this for a little bit. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is absolutely personal. But your relationship with Jesus Christ is not private. It's personal. But it's not private. It's, it's for the individual. But it is not individualistic. That, that's why, second observation, this takes relationships. Consider how you can stir one another up to love and good works. You can't just walk up to somebody out of the blue and encourage them. Just walk up and be like, hey, are you loving that person? Who are you? Right? I've told you the story about how Stephanie and I were holding hands when we were uh, first married at this conference. Um, I won't name the conference or even where we were, but we were there. And we're, I mean, we're, we, we were young. We got married when I was 21 and she was 20. And, I mean, I look like I go bald, so I look old fast. Stephanie looks like she's, like, lost age. She's, like, 18. You should have seen how young she looked when we first got married. Oh, by the way, some of you thought you were funny. I'm going to send Stephanie a picture of the picture that was on the screen. Hey, 30 years, you really don't think I said something to her ahead of time? Come on! <laughs> um, <laughs> she's really, that's the one she's going to be upset about that I just brought it up again. But other than that, um, <laughs> so we're holding hands. Uh, we've been married probably, what, two, three months at this point, and we're waiting in line for a buffet, of all things. And uh, this dude who's a, a pastor at the conference comes over. I do not know him. I've never met him. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I just know he was short. No offense. I had to go with something. That's all I got, little guy. It's probably an exaggeration. <laughs> but it makes a better story. So we're holding hands, and he comes up, and I mean, he's got to climb up to whisper in my ear. So he climbs up to whisper in my ear. And he <laughs> Sorry. 
And, and, and he says, he says, hey, 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 hey. You know what that leads to, right? Never met the man. No idea. He obviously had never met me either. Because my initial response, besides to squash him, was, was I did. I let go of Stephanie's hand, and I looked at him, and I'm like, yeah, I do. And it did. It's a dumb story. But don't we do that? We, we can walk up to somebody we have absolutely no relationship with. And say things, where, where, even if with the best of intent in our heart to try to help, they're not going to hear you. you. You have no relationship with them. Which is why our author says you need to consider how to stir one another up. That considering takes hard work. It's, it, it, it means you, you've got to be both thoughtful and creative with an understanding of who the person is that you're actually dealing with. It's not as simple as just walking up to somebody and saying, okay, do this because the Bible says so. Yeah, the Bible does say so, but how about we create some level of interaction here where I will hear you instead of use you as a sermon illustration 25, 30 years later. I mean, too many of our interactions in this area are information-based, guilt-based, law-based, and not relationship-based. This takes relationship. This also, this takes your presence. Not neglecting the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is um, one of the most used and abused Bible verses in all of Scripture by people who are in my profession. Because we really like to use it. Because it does kind of mean you've got to go to church. So anytime I can break that bad boy out, yeah, you're going to be here. Um, I love you all, and I'm so glad you're here. And I'm going to make a joke, and then I'm going to be serious. We need some of you to leave. Parking's getting a little gnarly, so <laughs> just kidding. There's the joke. The serious part, though, is this is way bigger than just showing up in church on Sunday morning. Holy smokes, that's, you, you, you're doing bare minimum at that point. You've got to be present for this. The negative command, don't neglect the obvious opportunity to do this face-to-face like some among you are. Some among us, and, and, and you know what? Good news, look around, it's none of them. See people who aren't here? Maybe not be them either. But there are some who have chosen this path of I'm going to, I'm going to do this on my own. And you know, what, you know what? The author of Proverbs speaks to that. The one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. What the proverb is saying is this. We have never seen somebody move further away from community and get more healthy as a result. We've never seen somebody walk away from community and love other people better or obey more consistently. That's a falsehood, and that breaks out against all sound wisdom. That's, that's actually... This is, this is kind of free, but it's good to do this every once again. It's kind of what drives our philosophy as a church, um, not only just ministry-wise, but also our online ministry. Um, I, I know some people are all in on online ministry, um, and that's, that's fine. We're, we're not, I'm not, I'm not bashing anybody. I just want to make sure you understand why. Why, why, why we've made the choices we have made. So, so we do. We post our, our messages up online, but they're a week delayed. There's a few reasons for that, technology not being the, the least of those, but 
but, but another reason is, is simply because we believe that the Bible teaches that relationships happen within the context, or that relationships are the context where life growth happens. So that's elbow to elbow, eyeball to eyeball. So while online is most certainly necessary for some things in this period of time, like for COVID, that, that, that thing saved us. It was exhausting. I never wanted to be uh, a televangelist. But there, you got that on my resume now, so cool. Um, but it's necessary for things like that. It kept us together while we maintain relationships outside of that, right? It's also, when, 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 when it's a good fill-in-the-gap measure, when, when meeting together is impossible, maybe you're, maybe you're sick, it's a great opportunity for us to push out to the community around us the truth of God's Word. It shows other believers who we are as a church, and hey, this is who we are. You want to come check us out? Come have a conversation. But it's still secondary. Secondary. Here, here, here's, here's why. Let me use this illustration. I saw it online, <laughs> of all places. <laughs> That was ironic. Um, <laughs> months ago, and I thought it was really appropriate. It's kind of like um, a, a guy, a soldier, guy or girl, uh, who gets deployed overseas, has been overseas for you know, eight months to a year. They've left their spouse, they've left their children behind. And, and all of a sudden, they have the opportunity to do FaceTime every, every day. That's glorious, man. That is a gift from God. To be able to not only hear the voice of your loved ones, but to see them and them to see you, that is a gift of God. And I would never want to take that away from that soldier, but I assure you, if they had the chance to be present with their family, they would take it in a heartbeat, as we should. So that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of free. Um, the, the consider how to stir up, uh, consider one another to provoke, to stir up love and good works, not neglecting the gathering together, not only all those other things, but it, also, it takes great humility to do these things. Um, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 is the other place that talks about this, but, but Paul in Romans 12 says, for the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than you should think. Instead, think <laughs> sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts don't have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So he's using this common sense. He says, think sensibly, guys. Think sensibly. Your hand is not your ear. I, I, I can't hear anything with my hand. And I can't catch things with my ear, or at least I shouldn't try. Right? So, so they're very obviously different, but, but the church itself is, is a body. Eyes, hands, ears, elbows, spleens. And they all work together in concert with each other. And separate from each other, they don't work so well. So and, and, and not only that, but they're members of one another. They belong to one another. They serve one another. And that is the exact opposite of what we see running through contemporary Christianity today, particularly westernized Christianity. We, we, we approach the church with a consumeristic mind view. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? How, do, how does this benefit me in, my, in the long run? See, that, that, that is saying that your walk with Christ is private, but it's not. Your walk with Christ is personal. It is not private. Now, seriously, there, there, there are people, even in this room, I'll go to church if it serves me well. I'll give sacrificially if, if I get something out of it. I'll be willing to teach the pre-K through second graders if it's convenient. Guess what? It's not convenient. It's love and good works. What if your body acted like that? 
What if your hand was just like, today, not feeling it, taking the day off? We're in trouble. It's not optional. That's the other observation here. This is not optional. It's so easy to get tired. It's so easy to get overwhelmed. It's so easy to fall for the trap of selfishness in our own relationships. Man, we, we need people to be a part of our lives every day, stirring us up to love and good works. And this is the way our author ends it. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I, I, I'm confident of it. Don't let this discourage you. This is actually encouraging. The first century church said the exact same thing. It's coming. Oh, we see the storm clouds. This Nero guy's crazy. You know what? We're both right. It's just the week is a little longer than we expected. It's been a really long Tuesday. But as we wait for that day, you and I are strangers living in a foreign land. And we're living in a strange, strange day. And 2024 is going to be the strangest of them all. And what we need is God's people to remind us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, not on anything else, to hold on to hope, to run into God's presence, to love each other, to obey God no matter what it costs, and all the more as we see that day approaching. So as we see that day approaching and you see brothers and sisters in Christ around you who are tired, who look like they're about to throw in the towel, what do you do? Be the church. Be what God has called you to be, the body of Christ, and show up and remind one another about the faithfulness of God. Remind each other about how good we have it in Christ that now we have bold, confident access to the Father because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons why I love singing with you all. You know that, right? Okay, it sounds good. That's, that's cool. But we don't, we, don't, we don't do music here to be entertained or to be entertaining. The music is here reminding us of truth. And so what you and I get to do is sing truth over each other. Remind each other of the truths of God's word. That he who promised is faithful. Hey, we're going to sing in a minute. Remember that you're singing to the primary audience that is God himself. But there are hundreds within this room who need to be your secondary audience reminded, reminded today to hold on, to draw near, and to keep loving the brethren and doing what God has called you to do. May we encourage each other even so much more as we see the day approaching. Father, thanks for the gift of your church. <laughs> this place is, it, well, we are not perfect. <laughs> we, we, we have found ways to mess things up that are so basic and easy that honestly, if we, we just stopped for a second, we would laugh at ourselves. But thank you because you give us grace, you give us mercy, you give us a second chance. And so, even in this place, we are surrounded by brothers and sisters who want to encourage us to love and good work, so may we do that well. May we do that remembering that it's not about being an amazing organization. 
It's not about being a place that has hundreds of people and parking problems. It's about the faithfulness of God in our lives and what he's done for us in giving us a Savior in Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that we would remind each other of these things over and over again, not the least of which is in this moment as we close our Sunday together. God, there are people sitting in this room who need to be reminded of the truth that you are worthy of giving everything to you as they walk out of this place because they have no idea what waits for them at the bottom of the hill. So God, fill them full of your spirit, fill them full of encouragement, and remind them of how good you are as we sing to you and over each other. The matchless name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing over each other.